So I ask permission to say a few words on Dhamma and on practice. And uh, I've been on retreat for about uh, 10 days, and, and I have another 10 or 11 days on retreat. I have another week of personal retreat time, but I uh, thought I would come down and join the group this evening. So it's September 29th, 2023, and uh, just uh, walking down before the meal today, so so being on a period of retreat, walking down before the meal, and there's all sorts of work happening in the monastery, but walking down via the Black Rock Trail, and uh, it's very, very quiet, so even though there was all this work happening, I was just slowly walking with my bowl, getting ready to just collect my food, and then I would, every day I've just been coming, collecting food, going back to my kuti. I like to eat at my kuti when I'm on retreat, and I really feel like a forest monk when I do that. I eat up in the forest and, and just spend time uh, up up in the forest, not in the cloister area, but uh, kind of coming down, and, and it's just uh, hearing the uh, mid-morning insects and the crickets, and I just found that it's an incredibly peaceful, incredibly nice. And uh, it's moments like that, that that are very helpful, I think, that the te- technique of focusing on nature, that's a very forest monk thing that we do, using the forest, using nature to help make the mind peaceful. And then just walking a few more feet, and then there was a skid steer moving a big rock, and there was all this work happening, but just a few feet before that, it was so kind of quiet and peaceful, and it was right next to the work that was happening. So I thought that was kind of a bit of a teaching, that there's stillness and movement. They exist together. And, uh, and then just walking down this evening, just just before, just now, it's just a uh, very cool, pleasant weather and, yeah, feeling feeling really nice and just uh, looking at the leaves on the trail there was a just a very brief bit of rain today so some of the leaves on the trail were wet and the smells kind of the damp smells coming up from the forest yeah very it's a very nice feeling so uh this being the lunar observance night i was thinking about past practice experiences, something that when we're down and out, when we're having a rough time, sometimes something that could be helpful is to think of past practice experiences, good experiences that we've had where we've maybe overcome obstacles or we've done something we thought we couldn't do. And if we haven't had good past practice experiences, then we have to create them now and, uh, and so we do that by going a little bit outside of our comfort zone. And uh, although these lunar observance days have been optional, uh, some people have been making use of them and, and going outside of that comfort zone a little bit. And I was thinking back, even though I haven't uh, stayed up all night through the whole night until dawn in quite some time, I was thinking, oh, I can't, can't even count how many 
times I did stay up all night on these lunar observance nights in the past 22 years. It's just so many, so many, you can't keep track of it. But building up those practice experiences. And uh, so I think of some experiences where, say, I being in Anagarika and not being able to stay awake during the all-night sit and uh, being very tired. And uh, we used to sit in the dining hall where the the wall was on my right-hand side and then we we would sit along that wall and curve around uh, the Ajahn's. uh, Ajahn Pasano, Ajahn Amaro would be up front. And I remember falling asleep and my head slamming into the wall and being really embarrassed. I would fall to the right when I fell asleep meditating and uh, thinking, oh yeah, thinking back on that experience and thinking, well, would it have been better to avoid that or is it better to have that experience to have pushed myself to that point? And I thought, well, it's certainly better to have those experiences and we might Sometimes we might see somebody nodding when they're meditating and we might be critical and think, oh, well, they're, they're kind of, you know, nodding and they're not, they're not doing so, they're not, you know, doing very good in their meditation. We might be judgmental, but we don't know. They might be pushing themselves. They might be going without sleep. They might be developing patient endurance. So we don't really know what other people are going through in their practice. And when we actually push ourselves a bit, then we might go through those things as well. But then another part of us might think, well, I shouldn't push myself to that point. You know, that's not healthy. It's not good. And I might be embarrassed if people saw me. People might judge me if they saw me nodding during the meditation. So I'm just not going to push myself to that point. But that's not really the way of practice. And we can apply that to anything like, I'm not going to volunteer to be the work monk because all these people are going to criticize me and not agree with my decisions. I'm not going to volunteer to do this or that duty because I might make a mistake. I might fail at it. I might not do a good job. I'm not going to volunteer for this particular activity because I might not do a good job. I might fail. I might make a bad impression on people. People might see me in a negative light. But then we never gain experience. So uh, doing the practice, uh, pushing ourselves a bit, and also maybe sometimes volunteering for th- to do things we might not want to do. And that's, that's how we practice. We find that edge and we, we push our limits a bit. We go beyond So I think of just uh, so many one one pra lunar observance nights staying staying up through the night, and whether it was here or in Thailand, I remember um, I, I was really uh, built up a lot of self confidence for myself when I was able to stay up almost till dawn and nine weeks straight at Pujamgam, and there was only two or three of us there. But we were having the midnight tea, and there was three of us having some Dhamma discussion. And I just remember one of them, it was so difficult to stay up. And I remember just being so tired, and it was about four in the morning, and I was thinking, I'm not going to make it till dawn. 
and just laying down on the kind of rocks at Pujamgam, looking at the stars and try to keep myself awake. And then other times, feeling like the the practice was really, it, it came together and not feeling tired, not feeling tired at dawn, going through till dawn and then not feeling tired and feeling great the next day and feeling like I could actually operate normally. Of course, most of the time that wasn't the case, but, but sometimes it did come together. And for those moments, that's the practice of all those times I failed at that all-night practice kind of caused those good experiences to occur. So uh, we do have to actually go through some of these difficulties in order to have those good experiences. And most of us do anyway. Uh, that time when my head slammed into the wall, uh, I remember uh, it was about two in the morning and so we would go midnight tea and then at about keep practicing from about 1 to 3 a.m. And then at 3 a.m. we'd have chanting. About 3.30 we could go up and, and have a rest. And I remember uh, it's like head slamming into the wall, really loud noise, and kind of shaking my head and looking around. And everybody else was struggling as well. So I wasn't the only one, and really nobody noticed, actually. And uh, <laughs> everybody was struggling, so uh, it was a it was a shared experience we were having. Or we might feel just living in the monastery is difficult. Just living with other people. I, I know uh, I would uh, early on, and uh, there was some some of us were kind of strong characters in the early days of Abhayagiri and including myself. And uh, I remember having a conflict with another monk who was a little bit senior to me. And um, I remember thinking, making this determination, this aditana, okay, no matter what happens today, getting up in the morning, okay, no matter what happens today, no matter what this person does or says to me, that I'm just going to let go of it no matter what. And... Uh, and then not being able to do, still, even with that determination, not being able to let go of certain things or way, things this person was saying to me and uh, ways they were just just interactions we were having, which, which I couldn't deal skillfully with. And so feeling like, oh, even though I made a determination to no matter what happens, I'm going to let go of it, it's still like, oh, there was that one angle, like, couldn't let go of, and then I got tested. So, uh, so yeah, we will get we will get tested here in the monastery. But uh, I find now, uh, recollecting like when I want to bring up maybe some energy, recollecting good practice experiences is very very helpful. And also within the space of retreat, it's bit easier for me to digest like being in Thailand I've spent about seven years in Thailand now total over a period of four different visits to Thailand the last one was about uh, seven months or six months in Thailand one month in Bodh Gaya roughly 
and uh, being in retreat, being able to digest experiences of being in Thailand and just really uh, feeling the gratitude of being part of this tradition and also uh, the kind of magnitude of it, of what we've been given and what we have with Lumpur Cha and the different Krupajans who we've inherited their teachings and and we're trying to practice and to keep keep them alive however we can. I remember uh, asking Lumpur Viradamo one time, like, how do you know practice has worked for you? Like, is there a way to know? And he said, yeah, he's, uh, I'm very grateful. If I wasn't grateful, then I, if, because it worked, I'm grateful. If I wasn't grateful, I would know it didn't work. If it, if it didn't work, I wouldn't be grateful. But because it worked, I'm grateful. So, so looking at, uh, qualities like uh, gratitude in the mind and, and making much of them and feeling like, well, if we think maybe our practice isn't working, looking looking at that quality of gratitude and seeing, well, maybe, maybe we still feel grateful. Maybe things are actually progressing in a way that, that is kind of imperceptible that we can't see. So also thinking, uh, uh, I guess a re- recollection that's been coming up for me a lot is is that the world occurs in the mind. And we have kind of issues we have to deal with in the external world. But really, the world, we're creating the world in our mind. And so when not much is happening in the mind, say there's... We're not really thinking about any sort of major issue or or like creating a problem out of anything. And there's no suffering in the mind. That's the third noble truth, cessation of suffering. So when there's not much suffering, not much stress in the mind, that's kind of well, where where is the problem? Where's the issue? Where did it go? Well, it's only there if I'm kind of chewing on it, thinking about it, turning it over in the mind. It's not to say we don't deal with issues or problems in the external world, but seeing on the level of Dhamma, the external world is anicca, dukkha, anatta. It's just impermanence, stressful, not self, not me, not mine. Uh, that's the external world. And the mind is really what's picking it up and creating stress around it. But when the mind isn't really picking it up in that way and not creating stress around things happening in the external world, then we can actually deal with it a bit more skillfully. We can respond to situations from a place of emptiness and uh, equanimity. I've uh, also had some opportunities to revisit the suttas when I'm in retreat. I've been reading some seems like every sutta I open up to, it's Sariputta. So Sariputta's been big for me, this retreat. So the last couple suttas in the Diga Nikaya are both Sariputta suttas, uh, going through these lists of 
dhammas and practices, and it's just incredibly rich. And then I went to a sutta, just kind of opened randomly to the Majjhimanakaya, and it was Sariputta again, just uh, talking about the purification of alms food and different practices around... Actually, the, it's the Buddha talking to Sariputta in that one. And there's another one where uh, Sariputta is talking about how when there's certain practices that the Buddha recommends and there's certain things we look for to know that they were working. And he talks about the Brahma-viharas, metta, karuna, mudita, upeka, and how they're for the removal of different defilements in the mind. And how if somebody claims they've, they've cultivated the liberation of mind through loving kindness. If somebody says, well, I've cultivated the liberation of mind through loving kindness. And, but they say, even though I've cultivated that liberation of mind through loving kindness, through metta, through friendliness, uh, I still experience, you know, states of, states of ill will, states of hostility, and then Sariputta says they should be told, no, you have not cultivated the liberation of mind through metta, through loving kindness, because it's through not being able to give rise to hostility that you know you've cultivated that liberation of mind through loving kindness. So you've misunderstood it. So, so there's that sense of penetrating, penetrating the teaching. And actually, uh, and then he says, if somebody comes to you and says, I've cultivated the uh, liberation of mind through compassion, through karuna, yet I still have mental states of cruelty arising, so therefore it didn't work. He should be told, well, no, it works. You just have misunderstood it. You've, you haven't cultivated it truly yet if you still have those thoughts of cruelty. Uh, then you have uh, mudita, mudita, if uh, one says, I've cultivated the liberation of mind through mudita, through rejoicing, through sympathetic joy, yet states of resentment still arise in me, you should be told, no, you haven't truly cultivated that. Because if you would have truly cultivated it, these states of resentment would not be arising in your mind. And then uh, if someone says, well, I've I've cultivated the liberation of mind through equanimity, yet lust still arises in my mind. You should be told, no, you have not cultivated that because the very way you know you have cultivated the liberation of mind through equanimity is if lust does not arise in the mind. So uh, the cultivation of uh, liberating the mind through those four Brahma-viharas and Sariputta talking about knowing what results to look for. And I find that kind of teaching incredibly helpful. It, it also reminds me of a teaching in the Anguttara Nikaya in the Book of the Sevens where there's certain things you look for to know that you've cultivated certain states. And uh, one of them is, that uh, comes to mind right now, is like if you, if you still lack energy or have a lot of apathy and find it hard to rouse yourself to practice 
it means you haven't yet contemplated enough that uh, all conditions are stressful, all conditions are suffering by their very nature. Because if you had cultivated that contemplation, then then you would be able to, it would be natural that that kind of impetus to practice would arise. So looking at these different uh, ways of practice and what the results, you know, what the kind of results we're supposed to be looking for. So feeling a lot of gratitude to Sariputta, the marshal of the Dhamma, the Buddha's uh, disciple, foremost in wisdom, discernment. And uh, it's interesting that there's a number of suttas that are actually attributed to Sariputta. And and you see that his style is a little bit different than the Buddha. Um, he's got this interesting kind of penetrating way of speaking, penetrating approach. Uh, then the Buddha praises him and says, tells the monks, you have to listen to Sariputta. He's of great wisdom, quick wisdom, penetrating wisdom. Longpur Cha would talk about Sariputta quite a bit as well. And uh, one of the qualities of Sariputta, so not only did he have these teachings that he would give and this penetrating wisdom that he would uh, bring to his teachings, but also qualities of his character that we can think about. So one of, one of his traits was that anywhere he went, he would clean. If, if anywhere he not just his dwelling place, but anywhere Sariputta went, he would be inclined to clean that place. And, uh, for example, if he saw a walking meditation path that was dirty, he would, he would sweep it. And if there was no broom present, he would use his foot to sweep the walking meditation path. So he would find a way to, to, uh, clean that walking meditation path. And Lumpur Cha would kind of raise that up as like, yeah, we should try to cultivate that as well. And uh, if we see uh, a dirty toilet, we don't wait for somebody else to clean it. We we can pick up a brush and clean it ourselves. Or if we see a empty dwelling place, we walk by it on the way up the road. Say say nobody's living at a certain kuti, we can actually pick up a broom and sweep around it. And this this kind of practice is always praised by the Tayajans. It's really good practice, really helps to you know, brighten the mind. So there's there's been a lot happening in the monastery. And so even though I'm on retreat, I'm, I'm aware there there is a lot happening. And there's been uh, kuti building and road work and all sorts of things happening and uh, backup generators dying and needing to be replaced. And uh, plus, on top of that, maintenance needing to happen in the monastery. But if we can re- remember some of these things, that if the mind cannot make a problem out of things, it's not really anything happening. It's just happening outside, but it doesn't have to be happening inside. So that's the stillness within the movement. And we can actually go about our day and, and look after things, and we can be contemplating those different liberations associated with the four Brahma Viharas, that uh, liberation through metta, 
metta is used for overcoming and uh, undoing hostility, karuna, compassion for undoing thoughts of cruelty, mudita, rejoicing for undoing thoughts of resentment, and then uh, the upeka, the equanimity for overcoming and uh, surmounting thoughts and moods of, of lust and um, using those four to really keep the mind in a state that's that's settled and, and peaceful. We don't really have to be on retreat to do that, but it is pretty helpful, though, actually, uh, to be on retreat. <laughs> it helps a lot. But uh, we, we build up these good practice experiences so we can recollect them when we need them the most. So... Uh, that's probably good for this evening. I wish everybody well, and I'll, I'll leave it there.